I'm going to speculate about um, something that doesn't really exist yet, um, but maybe we can start thinking about it. And that's what I'm calling the evolutionary ecology of present-day obesity production. Okay. Uh, what do I mean by obesity production? Well, basically it has to come from somewhere. It doesn't come from nowhere. At the individual level, it's uh, often a lifetime project. And um, childhood is usually the place to look. Now, a lot of the stuff that's been done about obesity and evolution is focused on the evolutionary underpinnings in the past. Thrifty <coughs> genotypes, thrifty phenotypes. Um, and there's been some success in showing differential susceptibility to obesity, but actually not much. Um, two weeks ago, um, I was at a meeting that showed um, where one of the speakers was talking about the genetics of obesity. He said, to the present day, we can explain a maximum of 5% of variation in obesity rates by genetics. 5% after two decades of intensive investigation into the genetics of obesity. Uh, that's a staggeringly small number. Um, so I don't think it's worth banging on this one very much at the moment. So let's have a look at something else. I think it's perhaps more interesting to look at the evolutionary ecology of how obesity happens. And can we look at things like uh, fertility, resources, status, and those kinds of proximate variables that we know to associate with a, um, um, a reproductive success? put a picture of Mitchell Johnson here <clears throat> because the cricket's in Adelaide. It's totally topical and he's a very predatory kind of animal and uh, this is uh, and he is and he's brilliant um, and I hope he does well today um, in finishing India off. Uh, <clears throat> what do we think about in terms of uh, uh, obesity production? The focus is on childhood. That's what I'm talking about. And we can look at it in a number of ways. So we're going to show, show data on total fertility rates, birth order, grandparenting, um, hierarchy and status, and see whether we can come to some kind of idea of um, how um, uh, reproductive success is constituted or subverted in the production of childhood obesity. So I'm going to uh, look at data that's been presented in other ways um, and adduce it towards this particular cause. So, first of all, um, what is childhood? And I'm going to, for the sake of operationalizing it, that, well, it's culturally constructed, but it's real. It's the period between infancy and juvenility. Barry Bogan said that. must be true. Um, it's part of extended life history that has been central to human evolutionary success. Extension of childhood, we know about that. Um, it's also important for learning much of what needs to be learned to be able to function effectively in society. Now, we can turn those two things. This talk is going to have a blue component and a brown component to separate out those two parts of the talk. So first of all, extended life history. Where it's been institutionalized in present day sort of discourse about childhood obesity is in biomedical healthcare. In respect of learning from what needs to be learned to function in society, it's been institutionalized in things like, uh, things like education. And both of these things have an evolutionary co uh, a component. Morbidity and mortality, of course, totally associated with reproduction, but then um, education and uh, social uh, positioning is totally to do with um, um, uh, accruing uh, fitness-related benefits across life. So we can see both of those things as having uh, uh, an evolutionary purpose. In terms of obesity, excess body fatness, now there are two terms that are used in childhood obesity. One is called obesity and the other one is overweight. And oftentimes you get 
data that's presented as overweight and obesity, when they present the scandalously high figures for childhood obesity in the media, they're usually talking about overweight and not obesity. Actually, obesity rates in childhood are much, much lower than they are in adults. But there's a concern that these things, that these things build up. Now, Childhood overweight and obesity is not just a phenomenon that you find in the, uh, in the Western countries, in, in the Middle East, in Kuwait, um, in Eastern Europe, um, in, uh, in South Africa. It's a global phenomenon. It's not a particularly, uh, not a particularly <coughs> um, Eurocentric, America-centric, uh, America Australocentric kind of um, activity. So I'm going to take two approaches. The first is health and reproductive success through life history and fertility, and secondly, through education and social positioning. Now, of course, the two are interrelated because um, where you place yourself socially affects how you're going to turn out. So, for example, childhood overweight is associated with socioeconomic status. Uh, in industrialized countries, it's generally the poorer people that have the higher rates. Higher rates of obesity and overweight are then associated with, with poorer, poorer health outcomes and so on. So we can talk about them. very good, very good data that actually comes from here from Adelaide, from Matches group, uh, um, from Megan Warren, Warren's group and so on. So first of all, what's the evidence for differential investment in children? And I'm going to go through three particular kinds of, ev of evidence. First of all, um, parental uh, by birth order then grandparental investment, and then total fertility rates and childhood obesity um, at, the, at the national level. So first of all, adducing what's quite well known in epidemiology, that is family size associates with, with childhood obesity. In this case, we're talking about obesity and not overweight. Um, this is data from the Netherlands, and uh, it's from 1979, quite old data. But if you, they sorted family size uh, and obesity rates, and they found that, uh, that the proportion, the percentage of, of, uh, of the population that was, uh, had uh, childhood obesity um, ranged quite significantly by family size. If you're a single child, the risk of obesity is twice as high than if you're in a family um, that is with three or more children. So first of all, small families have higher obesity rates, childhood obesity rates. Uh, secondly, Let's take a look at Portugal and just take a look at number of siblings and the birth order. Down at the bottom of the slide, uh, it says um, that if you set the um, odds ratio of overweight or obesity, these things are separated here, um, uh, uh, and uh, uh, at one for a single child, um, we can see that in families where there are uh, four or more children, the risk of obesity is more than twice as high. If you look at birth order, you find a very similar kind of effect. Both of those things. Uh, bigger families have lower childhood uh, rates of obesity and overweight. <coughs> Let's carry on. United States. Um, if you look at sibships, uh, um, families with uh, 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 no siblings, single children families, have much higher obesity rates than in those with one sib, two sibs, three or more sibs. And this comes from a large study of the family structure and childhood obesity, early childhood longitudinal study. It's a you know, major, major United States study. And, and this is an effect that is already there in kinder at the age of four years. It increases through third grade and fifth grade. So it's an effect that's already clearly there before children uh, start, to, start to school. Okay, I'll bang this drum just a little bit more. <clears throat> childhood overweight and the one-child policy in China. Um, okay, there's been a good sociological literature about 
China's little emperors that the you know that uh, because um, people are limited by the number of children they can have that actually uh, children have have huge significance and and it's no surprise that uh, uh, that they're, they're heavily invested in okay there's a study that was carried out by Yang and colleagues in China across a number of communities, 204 in total, in families where there's over a thousand children. And what they found that in places, where, and, they, they could, and these communities varied by the extent to which they practiced the one-child policy, the, work, the extent to which they practiced a girl exception policy, the extent to which they practiced a two-child policy, and they found that in places where, they, um, uh, where there was a two-child policy uh, 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 practiced, then the prevalence of overweight was one-third that of places where they, where they practiced a, a one-child policy. So again, you see parental investment in a single child is exceptionally high. Where, there are, where it's possible to have two or more children, then the rates of overweight are much less. Okay, grandparenting. We all know about the grandparenting hypothesis, about <coughs> um, uh, uh, why uh, longevity um, uh, may have been selected for, because grandparents allow free, did freeing up uh, uh, children's, uh, uh, their children's time to other, to, to, to other activities and therefore <coughs> facilitate reproductive success. Uh, uh, a study from the UK, the Millennium Cohort Study, uh, looks at uh, risk ratios for overweight according to childcare type, um, separating out grandparental and other informal childcare. The only thing that I want to look at in this chart, chart is the time spent in childcare, um, uh, according to whether a grandparent is looking after them full-time or part-time. Now, the um, relative risk of having a grandparent looking after a child relative to them not being looking after the child is a third higher. Uh, uh, so, so again, a grandparenting effect in uh, in, uh, in in investment in children. Okay, another source of data um, is I've taken the European Union um, to look at total fertility rates. Total fertility rates are exceptionally high, uh, exceptionally low now across the world. In the European Union, they're down to levels that are a little bit above one in some places and around two in other places, exceptionally low total fertility rates. When we look at uh, rates of obesity, uh, childhood obesity in, in, in Europe, in children uh, at the age of seven, uh, six, seven, eight, and nine, we see in southern Europe the rates of childhood, um, uh, childhood obesity are much higher than they are in Western Europe or in the Baltic states or the Nordic states. Or or uh, or, uh, <clears throat> or elsewhere, as in uh, Central and Eastern Europe, and uh, uh, there's very little decent explanation for why Southern Europe should have higher rates of childhood obesity relative to other parts of uh, other parts of Europe. It is a surprise, and uh, um, I'm going to just show total, some charts of total fertility range, uh, total fertility rates against childhood obesity rates using the Weinhoven et al. study uh, because they've done a similar analysis across. Uh, across obesity reporting for, for a large number of countries. I'm going to use something that I call Dunbar plots. Now, um, anybody who knows Robin Dunbar uh, knows that he can take three points on a graph, um, um, not even statistically significant, draw a line between them, and then, and then take an inference from that and use it somewhere else. And uh, he's, he's very famous for that, and uh, nobody's really picked him up on that. Um, uh, but because nobody's picked him up on that, um, I feel that I can legitimately follow the same practice. <laughs> now, these two axes um, 
the, uh, we've got obesity rates, chartered obesity rates on the, on, on, uh, uh, on the, uh, on the uh, left, and across the bottom we've got total fertility rates. This is just three countries, Spain, Slovenia and Belgium. And what it shows is that uh, the countries that have lower total fertility rates um, have uh, higher, rates of, higher rates of childhood obesity. Okay, this is t children at the age of six years from the Weinhoven data. When we take it a bit further, look at children at seven years, there's a bit more data, we still find this negative association. For the sake of argument, I thought, well, we're in Australia, so I'll find the Australian data, I'll find the New Zealand data, and see if we can put them on the plot. The regression line is, 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 um, is for the European data, but I added Australia and New Zealand, but we see that Australia and New Zealand actually sit in the the right place, showing again where, um, where there are uh, higher total fertility rates, there are lower rates of obesity. You can see where this is going, can't you? Um, when, we, when we look at eight-year-olds, we find a similar kind of relationship. When we look at nine-year-olds, the relationship persists. Now, total fertility rates and childhood obesity should, should not, you know, in a natural world, should not really exist. Um, however, what underpins this set of relationships is the fact that food is now cheaper than it ever has been. We've done some analyses on, 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 on the cheapness of food and insecurity, inequality and so on, and found that actually um, underpinning a lot of these obesity phenomena is the fact that high energy dense, high palatable foods are exceptionally cheap, even after the economic crisis that happened in 2008 and so on. And, uh, and this just shows the Big Mac Index, which is the relative price of, of uh, it's used as a, an index of the relative price of food uh, relative to income in a particular country. And what it shows is, again, total fertility rates across the bottom axis and uh, the Big Mac index across <coughs> the top. If it's zero, it means it's at the same price parity to the United States. If it's 20, it means it's 20% higher than it would be in the United States. And it, because it's a standard commodity that is, that is universally the same across many different countries, you can take this measure and, and, uh, and, uh, and use it as a very crude index of, of the relative price of food. We got the data from The Economist, which is, which is the, uh, the, uh, the organization, the magazine that, uh, that collects this data. And uh, what we found is, is, again, where the total fertility rates are, are higher, um, that's also where the Big Mac index is higher. So there is an association with the cheapness of food, as in Southern Europe, it's, it's, it's relatively cheaper. And, um, and, and, and obesity. Now let's put this into, um, into something vaguely scientific, um, using uh, regression, um, looking at overweight at seven years according to total fertility rate and Big Mac index, and we see that the relationship between total fertility rates and, um, and childhood overweight and obesity is, um, it is you know, just tips significance for Europe. And we can also see the Big Mac index is there. It's also important. Both of these things are important, and the two, uh, two go hand in hand. If we add Australia and New Zealand, we can, we can see the total fertility rate, um, childhood obesity relationship actually tips into a higher level of significance. And the Big Mac index also persists. So, you know, there is, you know, clearly there. So the, the, the take-home from this is that uh, actually there are bigger demographic things going on in society uh, associated with, uh, with uh, uh, investment in children that are associated, are probably strong background variables, associated with the, with the production of childhood obesity to the present day ignored, not thought about. Now, okay, 
Summarising that bit, and I'll move on very quickly, of course there are many things going on. Everything else that we know about obesity, over a hundred factors that are known to associate with obesity. Um, it might be stronger, the effect that we're looking at is might be stronger because total fertility rate is historically low, variation is low, <coughs> and there are ways to invest that can lead to obesity that are very cheap. <coughs> so if we had a bigger range of total fertility rates, we'd probably find a bigger effect. Okay. Moving to social position, very briefly. We know that socioeconomic status and obesity are related and, and, and obesity produces um, discrimination and discrimination in social, socioeconomic status and, and socioeconomic status is associated with obesity. It's a, it's, a circular, it's a circular pattern, but mostly it focuses on things like occupation, income and education. Now, I'm daringly uh, presenting Pierre Bourdieu at a, at, at, a, at a biological anthropology meeting, not just to be provocative, because I think Bourdieu is really cool. He's really cool because he takes constructs of capital from Marx and interprets them for the modern world. <clears throat> and he distinguishes other forms of capital between social and economic. And these are important for us as biological anthropologists because there are other ways in which you can construct how, uh, uh, how obesity might be produced. So, he has the idea of symbolic capital, which is constructed of cultural capital, social capital, economic capital. Social and economic capital, we're very familiar about. Cultural capital, carry your capital on your body. Pacific Islanders will carry their capital on their body. This is their status, their prestige. Um, institutional capital, if you've been to a good university, you tell people about that because that's your institutional capital. What this structure allows us to do is to bring in some of these social things into um, our understanding and talking about this phenomenon, which is obesity. How do we look at um, you know, why uh, uh, big bodies are favored in some places and not other places? Here's an example of where big bodies are still favoured, Kuwait, um, where um, a study of um, a healthy weight and obese boys and girls found that while there might be a 10, 11 point difference in body mass index uh, between the healthy weight and obese group, when you look at health related quality of life, no difference, no difference in relation to physicality with, with relation to psychosocial scores, no difference. Big bodies are not stigmatized in Kuwait. We've got a big literature about how big bodies are stigmatized. It comes from Euro-America. It doesn't come from places where, uh, where uh, big bodies are still favored. In the other direction, where embodied capital happens somewhere else. Did some work with people in Poland, Slavic Kozia, for example, where we looked at the uh, changes in obesity prevalences in, uh, in Poland um, before and after the transition uh, from communism. And one thing that we found was that while after communism, um, the uh, rates of obesity carried on increasing in at early adolescence and later adolescence in males, they didn't do so in females. Now, what was happening? Clearly, a difference between men, men and women. One of the big things that has happened is that, um, that Western standards of beauty have been particularly persuasive in, in, in Eastern Europe. And Poland has always looked to the West and never looked to the East. The period of time under communism was an aberration. Never was Poland seen as an Eastern country. Never perceives itself as being an Eastern country. So Western standards of how to be a proper Westerner include things like you know, this magazine that shows you know, where you can have genes of all sizes. They demonstrate there's only certain kinds of size that fit. Um, and so, so Western standards of beauty are something that become persuasive in those, particular, in those particular age groups. So body size and related capital formation at all ages. Fetal development, 
um, in postnatal development through education, income, and inheritance, and then you pass that on to your children, who are then socially positioned across later life. So, last slide. Current ecological, uh, evolutionary ecology of child obesity, a product of subverted parental and grandparental investment in modern and modernizing worlds. Um, capital formation shapes parental and grandparental investment, and biological inheritance uh, can be seen as being structured by social environments. So the background variables to this are the big social changes happening in society, like having a small number of uh, a smaller number of children. How you invest in those children will be different to if you had larger families. And so we have bigger forces that we as biological anthropologists can understand as having some kind of evolutionary basis, which are in large part still not considered in the larger discourse about, about childhood overweight and obesity. That's why I run an obesity unit outside of, a, outside of, the, the, outside of the formal um, uh, confines of, of, of medicine um, <coughs> and in anthropology to think of the biocultural drivers of obesity which uh, uh, don't enter the mainstream discourse. Thank you. Thank you.